0: Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. So I've never been awesome with remembering dates. Um, I know when my birthday is. Um, My wife's, fortunately, is December 25th. That's an easy one. Christmas, baby. Yeah. Our oldest son, Eli, he's uh, eight now. And uh, Rochelle was due with him uh, around mid-October. And uh, he was our first. And we went past our due date. And our midwife said, "Just, just hang on. Um, you know, we'll see you guys through this. And we got near uh, into the last week of October and we're thinking, oh no, like what's going to happen here? And Rochelle, the one thing she said is, please, Lord, I don't want to have a baby on Halloween day. And for some reason, she's just never liked Halloween. Well, wouldn't you know it? Eli was born on October 31st on Halloween. I think it was for me, because that's another easy one to remember. (laughs) I really do. Our second son, Simon, who's five now, he was born on a non-significant day of the year in December. I'm not kidding. For the first four and a half years of his life, I kept messing up when his birthday was. My second son, and I can't get his birthday right. I would say it's December 15th. No, honey, it's December 9th. The next year, uh, December 15th. No, honey, it's December 9th. I, don't even quote me on that right now. I'm actually not even sure as I think about it, whether that's... Is, that, is it? Do you know? See, all right. So my dad and I are both in the same boat here. He doesn't have a sweet clue either. But, so I've never been awesome with dates. But there's... One day, I don't remember exactly when I was baptized. I don't remember exactly when I gave my life to Jesus. It was when I was, I think, 17, um, really. I just, I don't remember that stuff well. But there's one day that I can't forget. And that was February 19th, 2017. That was the day that probably for the first time, I completely took my hands off of the control of my own life. And I said, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing here and I don't even like it right now. But I'm gonna trust you that getting back into ministry and being back involved in a church, in this church is what you're asking me to do. I remember that day so vividly because I couldn't sleep the night before. I was wrestling so deeply with it. And on the way to church every Sunday, I take the long way around. So we live in the south end of Niagara Falls in the far south off McLeod Road. And every Sunday, I take McLeod Road, and I take it past Marineland, and then I turn onto the parkway, and then I take the parkway all the way through to St. David's. I take the absolute longest way, which annoys my wife because it's waste gas, but I need that time for me. Um, That day, I think I probably hit the second set of lights, and I could barely see because I was bawling my face off. Crying out to God, not knowing what he was up to. In complete fear and panic and dread and every emotion you can think of. I literally was an uncontrollable mess. That morning, I don't even remember what happened the rest of the morning, really. I don't remember what I spoke on that day. But that day, February 19th, 2017 was a day where I trusted God to do a new thing in my life, not just the next thing. And I'd been fighting and wrestling with it. Today, as we continue in this series called Atmosphere, um, for lack of anything better, I've just called today New Not Next. Next. And we're going to talk today a little bit about what it means for God to do a new thing. And I'm going to get some participation from you here, so you've got to help me out. So you're going to repeat after me. God wants to do a new thing in me, me. not the next thing. thing. Let's do it again. God wants to do a new thing in in me, not the next thing. Often we get those two confused. We feel like God puts us on a trajectory. He gives us a plan and a strategy for our life. We feel like once we get into this routine and this rhythm that actually what he wants to do is just continue and build on that and do the next thing and the next thing, and the next thing. But what we find through scripture is that God, I don't believe, is as interested in doing the next thing as he is in doing a new thing in us. And the two are totally different. We're gonna go right now to the Old Testament. This is where we're gonna start. Last week, we were actually in part of the story, and we're gonna take this story of Joshua and the Israelites. In the book of Joshua, you could turn there in your Bibles if you have them, I encourage you, we're going to start something new here, I think, soon, where we're, it's going to be bring your actual Bible to church kind of thing. Because there's just, it's so ironic, right? But I've just been reflecting, even in my own life, as I'm studying and reading, I, I'm, I'm studying on my phone, I'm looking at my you version, and that's amazing, and, I, and I'm, I'm on my computer um, looking up stuff, but there's something different when I actually pick up my physical Bible. There's almost like this spiritual muscle memory there. When I see different things that I've underlined in the past and the different things that God has showed me over the years, it triggers something. It triggers my memory. And it it brings me to this place that's just different. And and technology isn't bad and and words on a screen aren't bad. But I actually really believe in this new season like we're going to talk about today that God is challenging us to do some new things again and uh, to create some new practices again. And so we're going to start encouraging you. Don't feel bad this week if you don't have your Bible, but but we're going to start building a community of people who actually walk with the Word, especially on a Sunday, bring it so that we can study it together and not just read it on a screen. Not that that's bad or wrong, but... It's just one of the little things that I believe God is speaking to me about this year. So Joshua, in the beginning of this, last week we talked about this story from the context of worship and how worship is actually spiritual warfare. And we talked about that. You can listen to that message online. So we're not going to cover that. But we're actually going to back up a little bit in the story from where we were last week. Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to start right at the top of that. We're in a massive season of transition here. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead the people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, You will be on land I've given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. The Hittites were the most formidable force in Israel's path. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you, or abandon you. Verse six, be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse eight, study this book of instruction carefully and continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Get this preface here. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the scene has been set. There's a a massive shift happening in the whole nation of Israel. Their leader who has led them out of captivity in Egypt, in the wilderness for 40 years, for 40 years has died. Never actually leading them to the place that God intended them to go. Actually, right after they came up out of Egypt, God told them, I want to I bring you into the promised land. Where you are now is not where I want you to stay. And so we arrive on the scene of this story. Even the great leader Moses wasn't able to bring Israel into a new place, just a next place. They were locked on one side of the river, of the Jordan River, unable to cross it unable to move to that new thing that God had destined for them and desired for them. Instead, for 40 years, they walked the shores of the same side of the river, wandering in the wilderness. And yes, God provides for them there, and yes, he leads them there, but it wasn't the place that God asked them and told them. He was preparing for them. And so for 40 years, they live in the next. What do I do next next? Where do we go next? Where's the next place we build our camp? What's the next thing you're gonna do, God? And after Moses dies, God says, okay, it's time to move away from next into new. But in order to move to new, we actually have to cross this river that you've been walking the banks of for 40 years we're actually going to a place you've not been before. Joshua had actually been there as a spy. But we're going to a place as a nation, as a people group that you've never been. And so that's the scene that Joshua inherits this mantle of leadership in a season where God says, I don't want you just to do what Moses has been doing. I don't want you just to take care of next. I want you to do a new thing, and I'm going to lead you into that new thing. And so this is what happens. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 1. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. And then he goes on to give some further instructions. What I just want to point out there really briefly, if we just hang out there for a minute. I don't know if you noticed this, but this week I was noticing the absence of detail there. Joshua says, here's what God wants to do. He wants to bring us across the Jordan River. He wants to bring us into the place that he's called us. He wants us to fulfill our God-given destiny, but there's no specifics of how they're going to do it. They have no idea what it means to cross the Jordan River. And we're going to read further. This is actually harvest season, which is ironically April, May in that part of the world. And because this is harvest season, the Bible goes on to say that the Jordan River is overflowing its banks. It's much higher and much faster, much more intimidating than it normally is. Normally, it's like maybe 60 yards wide. Scholars believe it was probably two to possibly two and a half times that width because of the surge of water coming out of the mountains and the melt of snow that was happening in that season. And so God gives Joshua this much insight. I'm taking you across, and you're going to possess the land that I told you you were 40 years ago when I brought you out of Egypt, but I'm not telling you how you're gonna do it until later. And I can just imagine all of the Israelites kind of scurrying around and wondering, okay, is God gonna part this like he did the Red Sea? Is he, is he gonna lead us in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Well, How is he going to orchestrate this? But God doesn't really give him that insight at this point. The story continues, and and Moses or um, Joshua sends some spies across, and there's the whole story of Rahab the prostitute and all of that. We're going to skip that. We're going to jump right into chapter three, Joshua chapter three. The spies come back, and the spies bring a report, and they say, "Look, everybody is terrified." Not because we're strong and formidable. They're terrified because of what they've seen God do ahead of you. They're terrified of God. They're terrified by the power that God has demonstrated and exhibited. And Joshua says that seems like a good time for us to move forward. Chapter 3, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions. Okay, so now we have some more instructions. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. What's really interesting about these instructions is God begins to lay a framework for how he wants them to move into the new, but the how is very different than they're used to. For 40 years, when Israel has broken camp and traveled through the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant that we just read about traveled in the middle of the whole nation. The Ark never led, ever. When they made camp through the wilderness years, the Ark was in the middle. The Ark was always in the middle. But God is saying, look, I know you're used to doing it this way, and I know we've done it this way before. But if you're going to trust me to do a new thing now, then you need to trust me. And this is the first step. Throw away everything you know about how to actually travel as a nation, how to get from A to B, how to hear my voice. Throw away all of that stuff you know about, and we're going to try something different. The ark is actually going to lead you. And it's not only going to lead you It's going to be so far out ahead that there's a half a mile of space between you. And scholars have been uh, bantering back and forth about what the significance of that might be. And some of them believe that it was actually so that the ark was far enough out ahead that A, the whole nation could see it and follow it. that, That it wasn't so close that it was obscured by everything that was happening, but also so that it encouraged them and emphasized a trust in God. God is going ahead of us. In this season, as he's leading us into a new thing, he's actually walking in front of us. He's not just walking with us through it. He's actually preparing a way ahead of us. And so we have further details that come to light. Then Joshua told the people in verse five, purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do a great wonders among you. If you're taking notes, I think the first prerequisite to God doing a new thing in us is a renewed passion for holiness and righteousness. If we want God to really do a new thing in us, it actually needs to start in our heart with a passion and a commitment for the things and purposes of God that God isn't going to lead us into a new thing until we're actually first ready inside, in our hearts, that we're actually in a season where we've said, God, I want to live for you. I'm tired of living for all of the things that are around me. I'm tired of getting distracted, and I'm tired of living in this cycle of failure and defeat. We, we have this culture of lazy and casual Christianity right now. We're so casual about sin. We're so casual about the presence of God. We're so casual in our church services to come and and sometimes just sing a few token songs and hear a message and walk out unchanged. We're so casual with calling people to a higher standard of accountability in their life. We're so casual with how we carry the presence of God in our work and in our school and in our families. We're so casual. And God is saying, if you want me to do a new thing in you, you have to put that aside and come back to me and have a passion again for the things that that resonate in my heart. It's scary though. As you know and I know in our culture right now, you say one wrong thing on the wrong platform and it'll wreak havoc in your life. But I'm wondering if there's some of you here who feel like, you, maybe you don't even know what it is, but who feel this 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 pulling in your heart that just status quo won't cut it anymore, that never picking up your Bible won't, won't cut it. That not declaring the worth and glory and honor and praise of God won't cut it. That excusing your sin and the sin of people around you won't cut it anymore. The question is, before God does a new thing in us, are we willing to deal with the current thing? Because God will never move us into a new thing until we deal with a right heart and a right spirit and a right life now. I would say in the last year, since February 19th last year, This has been the biggest transformation in my own life. Has not been to try and play church or or build a church or do anything like that. It's been, God, call me back to your heart. I wanna know you. I want to live in purity and righteousness. I'm I'm so sick of living in defeat. I'm so tired of having a complacent and and callous spiritual life. I'm so tired for blaming everyone else for my own spiritual apathy. The biggest thing God has done in my life in the last year has been to say to me, Get yourself ready. I can't help anyone else get ready and you can't either unless you're getting yourself ready first. And so before God brings them to the new, it's gut check time. It's stop. Before we go anymore, stop. God, what do you need to do in me? Verse six, in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. He still hasn't told them what, how. <laughs> just start doing it. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Can I just say, I just made a note for myself there. We're talking about the Old Testament But the New Testament says that because of Jesus, we're actually a royal priesthood. That actually what God has called you and I to is the same picture that he's laying out here. He's actually looking for people who are going to go out ahead into that new thing, who are going to be the first ones to step into the water, to carry his presence forward, to carry an atmosphere of faith and transformation. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. I'm so glad they all have the ites after them. It just makes it roll off the tongue easier. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp. Just take a minute to take this picture in. So the Jordan, it's in flood season. They actually say that the current was very fast in that river, especially during flood season. It reminded me of the Niagara River where we are. Uh, when you, especially when you drive over uh, the Peace Bridge and you see the water funneling in from Lake Erie into that small opening for the river, you can actually see the current and the turning. You can see the power of the water as it's going. And God says, first, if you want to see me do a new thing, you got to get yourself ready. The second thing you need to do is take the first step. You actually have to step into the water. Before I stop it, you need to step into it. You actually need to do something first. You need to make the first move. You need to trust me with this, that the new thing that I want to do in you, I will do. And I will be faithful to see it to completion. But it's going to require some faith and action and activity on your part. And so this is the picture we have. These priests, they step into the river, and it says that just up from them, upstream, the water stops and forms this giant wall. It's rushing in from the mountains. There's a massive elevation change in that river. It's not just a a little brook that's going through a forest somewhere. There's a, a major elevation change. There's major current happening and there's this giant water. And the picture that God gives us it's so amazing. These priests are standing with the presence of God between the water that would destroy them and the safe passage they need to get to the new thing. And that's the picture that God is giving us. Look, I'm not asking you to go at this on your own. I'm not asking you to step into peril. I'm actually going to be there. I'm going to be to your left and to your right. I'm going to be ahead of you and behind you. I'm going to be the presence that keeps at bay the waters that would seek to drown you. But you've got to step in first. You've got to trust me. It actually says later on that the Israelites, they were terrified still, and that they hurried across the river. Huh. Still not totally sure, like, hey, what if somebody loses their balance and falls, and then, you know, like, what happens then? Still not totally sure, but isn't that the grace of God, that he provides a way for us into the new, and he's okay with you and I not being totally sure. He's okay with us being timid. He's okay with that. It's all right, because he's got more than enough strength and power to stand there in the river and hold back the water until you get through to the other side. One last thought from this story that I wanna leave with you and we're gonna move on real quick. Is that it says that when they got to the other side, for the first time in 40 years, they harvested grain and made their own food. For 40 years, God had pro- providing food for them and water in the wilderness. In this new season, they were walking in all of normalcy was thrown out the window. And God said, yeah, I did that for you on the other side. But this is a new place and a new day. And there's a new way that I want to lead you. Just flip really quickly to Isaiah 43, probably one of the most well-known set of verses in the Bible. And I want to land here. This is a prophetic vision and word that Isaiah has. I want to key in on a few verses as we just process what it means to do a new thing. Chapter 43, 1, "O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. Literally, that word in the original Hebrew means I've paid for you. I've paid the price to allow you to live and experience what you do. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Specific reference to parting of the sea and the parting of the river. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 13, from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. I love this. No one can undo what I have done. Even we can't undo what God has done already. In your life, with your failures and your stumbling and my stumbling and my failures, we cannot undo through our actions what God has already done. Jump ahead to verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator and King. I am the Lord who opened up a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlestick. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun, do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and owls too. I love this juxtaposition. In order for us to walk into the new, there's one more thing we need to do. We need to remember and acknowledge what God has done in the past. God goes to great length to say, remember how I led you. Remember the powerful arm that I led you with. Remember how I've blessed you. Remember those things that I've done. And then all of a sudden he says, but now forget it. (laughs) What is that supposed to mean? I think that what God is saying here is, you need to be a people that remember what I've done, but forget how I did it. Remember what I've done in your life. Remember when I've come through for you. Remember those moments. But let go of how I did it because I'm doing a new thing in your life. We, We romanticize the how. We build whole denominations and cultures and churches on the how. But God is saying, forget the how. There's a new how that I'm going to do. Don't you see it? Do you understand it? Or are you just looking at the how and saying, God, if only you would do what you did for me before in the same way you did it. And we run around in circles, tiring ourselves to death to say, God, I want you to work in me again. And we try and put ourselves in the same spot and create the same conditions for God to move. We romanticize the how. And he's saying, forget about the how. You have no idea what I want to do in this new season of your life. And so God is calling us today to be a people and a culture that remember how great he is, but let go of the how. Allow him to change the script in your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. As we close today, what I think we should do is just celebrate a little bit. Taking our cue from Isaiah here and from these stories. I think it's healthy and why we wanted to do this today is we want to actually practice engaging in a culture of thankfulness to God. Like Pastor Herm mentioned already this morning, one of the things that we can reflect on As it relates to what God has done in us in the last year, is that in the last year, we've actually given more than $35,000 away to people outside who need help, to organizations who bring relief and restoration. Last year, on this weekend, there was $250 in the bank account. There's no way we could have done that without God's mighty hand of provision. We just wrote the checks this week of our tithe from the breakthrough offering $20,000 to $20,200 going outside of our church to help people. God is faithful. He takes the little that we have and He turns it into something that brings generosity and hope and restoration. God, we're so grateful and thankful for how you've led us, our kids that are walking up. There was maybe 20 or 30 in our kids' ministry. The last month and a half, there's been 65, 75 kids. God is doing something new. We saw at Christmas, our Christmas Eve service, there was close to 400 people here. A year ago, there was 60 at best, 60. Most of you weren't even here. God, we're grateful and thankful for how you've led us in the past, for the way that you've changed us and transformed us. God has brought renewal to so many of you. He's transformed your marriages and your lives. You've come alive spiritually. And those are the things God is saying, remember, remember what I did. But in this new season, he's saying, you got to trust me because the way I did it last year is not the way I want to do it this year. And I started this year utterly frustrated. When I thought about the life of our church, I, this became so poignant to me, going, God, I don't know, I don't know what you want us to do this year. I don't know what exactly you're asking us to do, but what I do see as a church is that God wants to build a community of people that carry the presence and power of God into their families. What I want to see are your kids and your grandkids and your brothers and sisters and wives, your parents, your co workers experience renewal and life change, not because you're preaching at them, but because you carry the presence of God with you, that he would light a fire in your heart and in your life that can't be snuffed out by trouble or fear or apprehension. I see God planting a community of people that carry his presence that brings transformation to our whole region. Do I know how he's going to do it all. I haven't got a sweet clue. But I know that he's calling us to be thankful and remember what he's done in the past and trust him to walk across that Jordan River again into a new land and to trust him that the how is going to come as we follow. And so that's what we're calling you to in this next year is to walk with us into the great unknown, so to speak. We're not about building programs and structures. Jesus didn't die for programs. He died for people. And so we're about pouring ourselves into you and into your family and into our community. We're going to start doing things this year that we've never done. We're going to continue to practice irrational generosity this year. We decided as a team that this year we're giving away 15% of every offering 10% to people outside of our church and our region, and 5% to the needs that are within our community. That God is calling us to do a new thing. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, Facebook.com slash Mountain Park Church and Instagram.com slash Mountain Park Church. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.